0: Here we are again, um, HMA interview podcast. I'm Sam Herring, joined today by a very, very special guest, D. Roper. I've been trying to get him on for a very long time, ever since I, I started this podcast. He's been at the top of my list, and so I'm, I'm really excited to get this one going.
1: Sam, I'm a big fan, man. I love what you do. Uh, there's a lot of kindred spirit, man. I I can remember being your age like it was yesterday, and man I, i'm a lot like you you're a go-getter you know what you want you love the sport a whole lot and you're living your life really well man so really been observing from afar and i'm a huge fan of what you do you're you're a pretty special young man I'll let you know that right off the top
0: well i i really appreciate that and um i i just i've been blessed to have a lot of role models to help me go along in this and, uh, it's it's been really fun good stuff all right, well, uh, let, let's jump right into the interview, start talking about your wrestling career, and uh, I mean, let's start right at the beginning. How did, how did you get involved with the sport of wrestling?
1: Um, actually, it's kind of been a theme through my whole wrestling career. My uh, path through wrestling has been a lot of setback and adversity, and that's kind of what's made me who I am. So I did not make the basketball team in middle school. And it was one of the first times that I really felt kind of injustice in my life. I was really blessed. My parents provided everything for my brother and I, I just kind of had to leave it to Beaver family and I just made a great childhood, but politics involved, didn't make the team over this one guy that I knew I was better than. And I was kind of upset about it and just getting some advice from my dad. He's kind of a sage of wisdom. He's like, well, just go try something new. I mean, young, it was the end of my life, but Wrestling was new at my school. It had just started. I was in seventh grade, and so I went out and tried it. And from that very first day, I came home and told my mom this: I found my people. So it was just something different about putting wrestling shoes on and really going to combat with another person. It just, I don't know, it satisfied something in my heart that nothing I had ever done had filled, man. And I've just been doing it ever since. Ever since that day, I've just been eating up with it. I can't get enough. So... A little bit of a roundabout way of getting started, and getting started late compared to most people, but I doubled up and caught up through my high school days, worked pretty hard and put in a lot of hours, so ended up having a pretty good career.
0: How old were you at the time when you when you started wrestling? So, seventh grade
1: is my first introduction to it. How old are you in seventh grade? What, probably 13? I'm in seventh grade, yeah. 13? Mm-hmm. So right about then, that's when yeah, I had, and yeah, I honestly, I honestly thought it was going to be. I had no idea what wrestling was. Really, had no clue. I, only thing I knew was professional wrestling, so I knew it wasn't exactly that. But I had no idea what I was getting into. So completely, man, I uh, just completely naive for the journey I was about to go on for the next twenty years of my life. But it's been a fun one. Um.
0: So, what about wrestling? Do you think? introduce you so much to this passion that you have now what about wrestling do you love so much well the sport
1: itself um, I really enjoyed being in control of my own destiny so to speak Um, I wanted to do something in college I wanted to be a college athlete I was a pretty good baseball player and that was my passion at the time so that was really my plan I was going to go to college and be a be a baseball player and then probably end up coaching after that in baseball. But, um, I don't know, sometimes getting recognized your team needs to do well. And there was those frustrations. And again, there's some politics involved, especially at my school with baseball. So I don't know, man, uh, just being able to control what I was going to do in my future while well, how hard I worked and it just be me against another guy. And all I needed was um wrestling shoes a wrestling mat a whole lot of time and one guy willing to put in the time with me and i could be about as good as i wanted to but i don't know i kind of got a theory like our, i've got some theories that are i think too much about stuff uh so this is what i think uh wrestling's so great and why it satisfies something in you that man it, not many things else do so we've evolved over a lot of time. Uh, millions of years, humans have to do a few certain things. So, we've evolved to run, and that's why there's this crazy running community where people just love running and there's nothing at stake. They just really enjoy it. It satisfies something in our DNA going on a long run. We've evolved to do it. We evolved to climb. That's why there's these crazy rock climbing communities um, that just love doing it. It's part of who they are, it becomes part of their personality. And we also evolved to be in combat. We had to survive, we had to fight. So those combat sports, boxing, wrestling, MMA, any kind of martial arts, they're kind of ingrained in who we are. So I think it satisfies something on a primal level for me that just not much else has. I've gotten into running lately through one of a, a big booster we had, big supporter we had was big into running and he ended up getting cancer and passed away. So kind of living in his memory, I picked up running and it's similar, but I don't know, man. There's just something about going into combat. That picture right behind you, right there with Burroughs and Martinez. Man, there's something about that that uh, I just got to have in my life. And just I'm going to do it as long as God keeps blessing me to do it. And then kind of segueing into that, man, faith's a big part of my life. Um, I've been I was raised. My parents told me the whole time about living a life of service. That's really the purpose of life is find out what you're good at and use it to help other people in God's service. So I really believe, Sam, I was put on earth to be a wrestling coach. Um, I think that was that feeling I had that very first day when I told my mom I found my people. I'd kind of found my calling a little bit that I had stepped foot into what God was going to take and make something pretty special and make it a blessed journey in my life. Because I'm telling you, man, the success I had as an athlete, which... I mean, if we talk about it more, you'll hear the disappointment and you'll see some of that. But, man, I had a good career. I can't complain with what I did. And then the success I've had as a coach, that's not me. Like there's something bigger than myself that's orchestrating this. For what it is, I have no idea. But I just know I'm going to keep putting in the work and let God take care of what he's going to use it for. So that's part of it, too. I think it satisfies something on that primal level. And then it definitely, for me, satisfies the, the thing on the spiritual level of why I'm put on earth.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And um, I've never really heard it described that depth. Um, really interesting to hear your perspective on that. But um, so, in your wrestling career, as you started out, how much success did you have early on? And what was like your growth pattern like?
1: So, I remember, I don't remember a lot from my early, like seventh, eighth grade years of wrestling. There's not too many vivid memories of competition. I remember my first one, though. Because I had – man, I was in I – was, I was growing, so I was a little bit chubby. I was big for my age. I would matured early. So I was in this singlet, and it was kind of awkward and weird. It was in a rival high school right nearby, and I thought they were the Iowa, of Georgia wrestling. I had no idea. So I was kind of nervous going in. And, man, it was just that whirlwind. You kind of remember when you're first starting wrestling or you jump to a new level. Things are moving so fast, you have no idea what was going on. But I remember – switching and as I was switching the guy kind of turned and faced me and he was on his knees and I just haymakered a headlock and put him on his back and pinned him and then I'm just man team going crazy coach going crazy <laughs> I was hooked from that moment on and just remember talking about how nervous my mom was and my mom's a pretty reserved person but she's talking about like fighting up in the stands with me and it was just a cool experience all around so I had a pretty good bit of success through middle school, but it was more from lack of competition than really being good at all. And then going into high school, I got fourth my freshman year and just basically on grit. I would shoot double legs until the other guy got tired of sprawling and I was naturally pretty strong guy, but no wrestling skill really whatsoever. I was in good shape and I would wrestle really hard. So I ended up placing at state, which at Georgia really back in those days, it's not what Georgia is now. So really not that big a deal. And then I started getting pretty committed going into my sophomore year and going to camps and knew I needed more technique. So started delving into that aspect a little bit. And I tell you, I ended up making a big weight cut that year. Um, Watch Vision Quest, you know, man, every wrestler goes through that. So I went on my vision quest and there was a really good guy named Matt Herring, uh, the weight class below me. And it was a really big weight cut. Like one forty five that year was man, it was a pretty big sacrifice for me. But man, I was on my vision quest. I was gonna go and that guy was gonna take me to the heights I wanted to be at in wrestling. So I ended up cutting way down and To make a long story short, uh, my movie didn't end up like Vision Quest. He took me down about 11 times in the state finals and really embarrassed me pretty badly. So that's when I really got crazy about wrestling, really. I sat down with my dad and I was like, Dad, I, I want this. Like, I want it. This is what I want to do. I want to go and be a college wrestler. Man, I want to win state titles. I want to be a national champ. I want to be a world champ. I didn't even know world championship was freestyle at the time. So my dad, he's a little bit like me. When he gets into something, he really gets into it. So he did a bunch of research on the best wrestling technique video cassettes. It wasn't even DVDs back then. It was VHS tapes that we could get. And we came on the Gramby System of Wrestling. And we ordered one and kind of did our homework. And, man, we loved it. It was uh, systematical. And I'm, I'm an analytical guy, so it just fit me. So we ordered all of them. And I went nutty that summer. So here was my here was my probably 150 days where I really made a huge jump in wrestling, technically and from a confidence standpoint. So I would go into work with my mom in the morning. She would go in about 6.30, and she would drop me off at our wrestling room. Our wrestling room was at like an auxiliary gym at a middle school, so it wasn't like heightened security, you can't get in there. Like we could get in about any time we wanted to. So she dropped me off at 6.30. Very fortunate I had a guy named Scott Knicky that was – very crazy like me and man he man that guy oh that guy so much and he showed up with me went into work with his parents and then we practiced for probably six or seven hours that day we'd take breaks and eat lunch have food we had a little Nintendo in the back where we'd play some video games in our break but we'd be on the mat about seven or eight hours and then my dad would pick me up after workouts and we'd go home and I did that every day until school started back and just logging that many hours, five days a week on the wrestling mat, um, man, it got me a lot better. And I really did make a big jump. I placed it in HSCA's that summer, ended up only losing one match the next year, won a state title, same thing the year after that, uh, won a state title, got to be a college wrestler, mainly because my grades were really good. I probably wasn't good enough to be a legit division one recruit, knowing what I know now, but it opened the window to where I was good enough and I did well enough in school that was fortunate that I got a scholarship to go to App State and then spent four years, five years there trying to figure out how to be a Division One wrestler. And it was pretty much a lot of the same thing, being real naive and working my tail off.
0: That's awesome. Um, so you talked about your stages mostly because of your academics and stuff. Um, were there any other schools you were looking at other than App State? I mean, that's kind of like the, the school in the South that's kind of close to the... Where you lived, um, there's that and you teach in North Carolina. Schools like that are down there, but um, any other schools that you were looking at? Yeah, I was, uh,
1: I I, I had the grades to go Ivy if I wanted to, but my dad, he can see into the future really well and sat down and talked about, my brother had thought about that route too. My brother did incredibly well academics, way better than I did. That's kind of what his life's work went about. But that's another story for another time. So I knew the Ivy route wasn't for me. I wasn't, I was probably going to be a teacher and a wrestling coach and didn't need all the debt that goes with an Ivy League diploma to be a teacher. I'd still be paying it off for the rest of my life to the day I die. So he kind of was like, that's out of the picture, not going to let you do that. So I started looking at some of the better public academic schools and actually decided I was going to go to North Carolina. That was one of the places that I'd gone to camp a lot and develop a relationship with Jaworski. He really liked my work ethic. And so that's kind of where I decided I was going to go. And that was the plan. Well, going into time to sign and commit Jaworski ended up not having a job there anymore. And I didn't like the head coach near as much. So Decided to go look around, again, didn't know anything about it, kind of put myself in a bad spot. Wasn't a whole lot of money left, but App State had a lot of interest in me and uh, offered me a scholarship. Went there, NC State recruited me some, UT Chat, and I might have gone to Chattanooga, but I had a few buddies that were there and actually told me not to go. And it's funny because the next year, Brands comes in, and sometimes I think about, man, what could that have been? Because I got some regrets in my wrestling career in college. Um, some fault of my own, some not my own, but, uh, i got some regrets. I'm like, what would it have been like to wrestle for brands? What could I have gotten out of myself? But that's the way life goes, man. You're going to have regrets and you're going to think back to that stuff all the time, but I had a great career, loved App State, man. I'm an outdoors guy and there's no place better than that. And I developed a really oh, yeah. good relationship with John Mark Bentley while I was there. Guys still look up to a lot. And, uh, it's kind of weird that I'm have the same job as him now. It's kind of my life came a little full circle with that stuff.
0: That's crazy. So, you decided not to go to UT Chat, and then Brands came in the next year.
1: Yeah, yep. Yeah. So it was one of those things. It's like, uh, what could have been? Or it might have been two years later. I don't know, man. I've been hitting the head a lot. Stuff gets a little bit fuzzy as time goes on. But uh, I would have enjoyed. I would have enjoyed wrestling for Brands. I was, man. I was. I'm kind of wired that way. I'm. I'm kind of a psycho. So, knowing how I would have enjoyed wrestling for Doug and being around him every day, and what I've heard about Terry from one of my really good friends, Matt Pitts, uh, who wrestled for him, I would have loved it, man. And I would have liked to have seen how far he could have taken my wrestling career.
0: Wasn't one of your first wrestling experiences at Iowa?
1: Yeah, and that goes back to how naive we were. Um, So, again, back in the dial-up internet days, my dad gets on there and just looks up wrestling, like, I got to go get better. And, of course, Iowa wrestling comes up. It was right at the end of Gable's era, so... That's all it was, man, was Iowa wrestling. So he sent me out to an intensive camp out there, and I remember my mom being so mad at him for putting me on a plane and sending me out there. We didn't know anybody. I barely knew anything about the sport. And, Sam, let me tell you what. I got my butt kicked for six or seven days, however long the camp was. I was on my back the whole time. But I loved it. I don't know why I loved it being around McElravey and that was kind of my host. He took care of me a little bit. He became the guy I really looked up to. I don't know, man, these were like the greatest wrestlers of all time. And I was in the same building as them and I could watch what they do and see it and be like, all right, I can, I can do that. Like I can work that hard. The skill level, I have no idea what they're doing, but I can work that hard. So again, that kind of shaped the experience and I'll tell a little story real quick is uh probably changed my life. Not, not being hyperbolic. I'm serious. So Gable, he wasn't around at the camp a whole lot because, uh, he had just had surgery and I think it was his hip or his knee. I can't remember which one, but he came crutching in and he was going to do a motivational talk. And, uh, we're in this auditorium and I still remember who I was sitting next to. This guy had dye blonde hair, just one of those things where life kind of slowed down a little bit. And Gable talked about the difference between being good and being great. And I just absorbed every word of it. And I've failed a lot since that day, but I've really tried to put what he said into action. And to keep it fairly short, basically he summed it up is the difference between being good and great is the amount of sacrifice that you'll make. Uh, everything in life has a price. And if you're willing to pay it, you have a chance. You have a chance. It's not guaranteed. You have a chance to achieve it. And he would talk about when he was young and going fishing and in between casts, he'd do like 10 push-ups. Right, things like that—the little things—that if you do them all the time, stack up to be in this monumental thing at the end of your career and at the end of your life. And honestly, man, that—that kind of stuck in my heart and in my soul, and I've been trying to live that way ever since. And I'm a flawed man, so I fail on a on a lot of occasions. But that's what I try and do, man. I try and stack up a lot of really hard, focused, sacrificing days, and I let God make of it what He's going to make of it at the end of my life.
0: That. That's that's really cool. Um, I mean, for you to go. What were you two months into wrestling before that?
1: I, you probably can't even say that. Like, I mean, I well, I had a pretty good high school wrestling coach. I don't want to paint him as a bad brush because, man, he put me he loved me, he took care of me, man. He motivated me, but he wasn't teaching me a whole lot of wrestling, to be honest. So I, I really had no skill set to go in and go to an Iowa intensive camp with all those animals that ate me up. But it showed, I'll tell you the good thing about it. It showed me how far away I was from being good. That I knew the sacrifice, what Gable was talking about, was going to be really big. It wasn't going to be able to just, hey, I can do this for three months out of the year and go to one hour and a half practice and mess around with my buddies while I'm at practice. Like, no, this is going to have to be eat, sleep, breathe it every day of my life to get what I wanted. So, it kind of planted that kind of crazy seed in me. And I mean, it's Iowa. So they're, they're breathing that stuff and preaching that stuff up there too. And man, I was a kid in the candy store. I was, I was buying it all, man. I wanted every bit of advice they had to give me.
0: That's, that's so cool. So, So did you go, did you ever go back to that camp in the next years?
1: No, I never made it back there. Um, it's probably something at the end, it would have been a cool experience to go back and go through the intensive camp. You know what, Sam, I, I had a guy, a college guy come into a camp I did and I told myself I'm going to go to a camp. I might go do that. I might go to the Iowa intensive camp and go through that kind of bookend into my experiences. That's something I want to get back into uh, going back to camps again. I, I have to put that on my bucket list to go back to that camp at some point in my life and go. Maybe that's the very end. When I retire, that's what I do to retire. I go to the Iowa intensive camp and go through that again. That'd be a cool thing to do.
0: That would be cool. Were, were you in shape were you ready for for the intensive camp did you uh struggle at all or was it just wrestling no i
1: that part all the working out and conditioning that's what probably got me through it because i mean the the stair runs and carver the sprints around the top like i won all those nobody was beating me in that stuff um my dad had raised my brother and i pretty tough like we were pretty tough-minded guys and uh he demanded a lot of discipline out of us, even from at a young age. So that part of it was not hard for me. I just had no skills to compete at wrestling. But as far as how intense it was and the waking up early and the runs, man, sign me up. I'm all for that stuff.
0: That's, that's so great. Um, so, so back to your um, recruiting stage for App State. You ended up deciding to go there. Um, at the time, was Coach Russo the, the coach there?
1: Uh, Paul Mance was the coach there. He had coached for a long time, and uh, come to find out, he had a pretty big interest in leg riders, and that was probably the thing I was best at. Um, I was I was a pretty good leg rider throughout my whole career, and uh, so piqued his interest through that. And then he saw my grades, and of course, and they were really good at the time. Um, so I made it based on a wrestling decision. I love the area. When I went up there and went on my visit, I mean, it's in the mountains. It's gorgeous, man. If you're an outdoors guy and you're interested in college wrestling, go check out App State. It's really an amazing yeah. place. It really is. But um, I, they were good. I mean, they were winning the Southern Conference a lot and went up by a lot of points. And then they had a really good group of guys, uh, Travis Drake, Rich Case, Mark Fee, who ended up being my practice partner. He's a two-time All-American and they had a lot of really pj bosha they had some guys that really took care of me and and were really solid college wrestlers ranked in the country um so that's one of the reasons i went they were really good and uh that with uh had the degree i wanted of course um one applied mathematics so it was kind of a i don't know kind of a total nothing was perfect there but everything was good enough and uh Man, really, I just wanted to wrestle. It wouldn't have mattered where I went to school, to be honest, I wanted to wrestle. I didn't know enough about the recruiting process or college wrestling to really make an informed decision. My parents didn't either, so I just thank God it ended up being a pretty good situation for me.
0: That That's awesome. Um, so when you <clears throat> when you went there for the first time and, and you started training in a college room with, with college coaches and and high-level partners, what were the gains you made? I imagine it was it was pretty impressive. I mean, going from where you were in your high school in, in Georgia to college room in North Carolina State, um, were there big jumps right away or did it take you a little while to start seeing the results? Um, yeah, I'm sure there were jumps right
1: away. I wish I would have journaled the way I do now through my college career. Man, I've got a few regrets that I didn't really document more of building the compound days. And I didn't journal through college like I should, but I do remember one of my first workouts going in and I worked out with a true freshman, Jason Jones, ended up being one of my good buddies. He's a 141 pounder. So I'm two weight classes, bigger than him. I was planning on being a 57 two weight classes, bigger than him. And he kicked my butt. I mean, kicked my butt. So again, I had that I'm behind. I got to go. I got to work. So I had another one of those, i got to put in a lot of work times and just started really grinding on that. And like I said, I was really fortunate who my practice partner was, had two guys, my fresh true freshman year, PJ Boccia and Mark Fee, um, that really took me under their wing. And uh, by take under their wing, I mean, they kicked my butt a whole lot and then would help me after it. And uh, these guys made me good really fast. I ended up, I ended up starting as a true freshman. So I wrestle off, win my wrestle off, but the guy I beat, it was really close with, right? So our coach comes in like, hey, we don't have a really good 74-pounder. You got your tall frame. You want to go up. I was like, yeah, whatever, man. I just want to wrestle. Again, I don't know anything about college wrestling, really. So just, sure, put me in the lineup. Well, I lost my – funny, my very first college wrestling match, I wrestled the number one guy in the country – Uh, he's from UPenn, Rick Springman, and I fought my tail off not to get teched, (laughs) so it was all downhill from there, man, I'd had, I'd had it as bad as it was, and then lost my next 12 matches, I was 0-13, and and coach brings me in the office, and I'm thinking it's going to be like, hey, man, like, you're, it's going to, you're going to figure it out, like, you're working so hard, you see the extra workouts you're putting in them, and I was on the mat three times a day, Sam, like, I was just back to being crazy, putting in a ton of hours again. And uh, brings me into office and sits me down. And it was the exact opposite of the pat on the back. Here's a hug. Keep working hard. It was like, you ever going to win a match? Like, we brought you up here to win. And so, but it was what I needed to hear. So I made a promise to myself after that. I'd lost a bunch of one-point matches, probably five or six on that losing streak I was on. I was like, I'm never going to lose another one-point match. I'm going to lose by three. I'm going to lose by six. I'm going to get pinned or I'm going to win it. And I made a big jump from there. And then from there to the conference finals, I only lost one more match and went on a really good run. And you hear people talk about it all the time. I just decided I wasn't going to lose anymore. And I did. It just, it up my level of intensity and dedication and grit and toughness about what I was willing to do in the seven minutes on the mat and made a really big difference. And then once I started winning and got some confidence, the jump started coming a lot faster. I had a lot of footwork issues. I had a guy, Angelo Spaticini, who's a volunteer assistant there. Uh, nobody would know who he was. But, man, just a great heart and helped me out with my footwork so much. Joe Boydnot another guy that just loved wrestling, was around there, helped me out on bottom. And I was a mat wrestler. I, w- I would hand fight hard on my feet, and my defense was pretty good. But I won matches on top. And, uh really figured out how to turn good guys and had some help with that along the way. So to answer your question in a long roundabout way, which you'll find out I have a bad habit of doing. Um, yeah, I made some jumps pretty quickly just from, I didn't give myself another option. I made a decision. I was going to be good and I burnt the bridge and I wasn't going back.
0: So with, with that improvement, um, what was the most important part of it? I mean, you said the coach sat you down and, and you had a talk that really woke you up. Um, you need, you needed that. And it was a lot of grit that you improved on. Um, how much of it was, was the grit and toughness and how much was it skill and how much was it, uh, weight cut management, any, anything like that? What, what were the biggest areas where you were improving?
1: Well, I really wasn't cutting any weight. I was, was cutting no weight. I was actually gaining weight. I was wrestling 174 pounds, which I was not a 174 pounder, not even soaking wet. Um, It was really grit. I mean, I had great coaches. Don't get me wrong. They cared about us. They loved us. Um, I was bitter after my career because we didn't get a whole lot of technical development, but man, he took care of us. So I had to apologize later in my life as I got older and a little bit more understanding of life, but it was grit. 100% was grit. I had to get, I don't know if tougher was the right word, really. I just had to decide I was going to win. It was just learning how to win matches, and it's a skill. And it really helped me as a coach to try and communicate that to athletes. It is a skill you have to practice. Sometimes guys have this picture in their head of how they have to win or how they're supposed to win or how they're going to win. That just gets in the way. You have seven minutes. The only thing you have to do is score more points than the guy or pin them. And there's a million different ways to do that. And I guess really learning that, that it didn't matter how I won. If it was a stall call in the third period, if it was turning the guy six times in the first, it didn't matter that the only thing that mattered was getting my hand raised at the end and moving to the right of the bracket, man, really made a difference. So learn how to win, man. I don't really think it was toughness. I think it was just making my mind up 100% that this is what I was going to do and I was going to win. And did you see
0: results coming after that?
1: It was immediate. I mean, it was really like night and day going into my next match, uh, confidence level was way different. And as much as I talk about winning here, it probably was, I was less, actually less focused on the outcome. And I was just started wrestling really hard. Like I was just made up my mind. I was going to die out there other than lose. So I was just wrestling way harder. I was putting way more into my matches. I mean, harder hand fight, harder sprawl, harder, my returns, harder working off bottom. Uh, was just, yeah, it was pretty immediate, night and day from when I made the decision I was going to win to when I started getting some results.
0: And was that your sophomore year, you said?
1: That was my freshman year. I started as was a true freshman, freshman right out of the gate, which I was not ready to. But I don't know, it kind of forced me into making that choice. If I'd have had that red shirt year, I wouldn't have trained the way I did. Not not losing those first – that losing streak I had, man, that really – I've had uh, some work ethic jumps in my life, and still continue to. I'm actually in one right now. That was one one of the big ones. If I wouldn't have had that losing streak and been in the lineup, I know I wouldn't have had the college career that I did. So thankful for it in a way, even though it was rough at the beginning.
0: So, your sophomore year did did that. Improvement and that result; those results continue to grow. And and did you start looking like you were you were better and having a lot more confidence in yourself, or did it kind of apply to
1: No, it it kind of kept going pretty fast. Um, so I lost in the conference finals um, to a guy from VMI, Matt Irwin. He was pretty good. He was ranked pretty high in the country at the time. But I lost right at the end of the match, and uh, I gone back to I had man. National tournament was my goal that year. I knew I wasn't good enough to be an All-American. I just, I knew it. I'm honest with myself to a fault. That's one of the things about me. So I wanted to go and experience a national tournament. And man, I got the guy so tired that I could see it. Like That third period, I saw myself in the NCAA tournament. I saw myself in the bracket. And instead of motivating it, me towards, I'm going to do that much more, it scared me and I froze. And I tried to hang on and he ended up getting a takedown at the end, and beat me, and I learned a great lesson, and again, man, just took Psycho Roper up through the roof again, and that summer, I just put in a crazy amount of time, and made a big jump, and ended up having a really good sophomore year, and ranked in the country, qualified for NCAAs, and uh, just man, had a really good year that year, um, all around, was probably the healthiest I was in my college career, which, man, that was a theme, uh, I, my body just kind of betrayed me a lot through college, but it was my own fault. I worked myself to death and didn't understand rest. So that's probably the healthiest. I wasn't had a really good year, man. I, I only lost like four or five matches, six matches, and I uh, ended up doing really well that year. Had a good career. Had a good season that year.
0: And so you qualified for NCAAs that year. Um, that was your first experience at the national tournament or did you ever go before them?
1: No, that was it. That was the first time I'd seen it. or I mean, I'd watched, actually, my first match, I watched Doug win his sophomore year at NCAAs. and uh, So that was my first experience there, man. And honestly, it scared me to death. Uh, I don't know if I really talked about this ever. I was petrified. I was scared to death of how big it was and how many great guys were in my bra- I'd never been in a tournament, anything like it. Not even, I mean, nothing comparable. Not nothing, no Fargo, not NHSEAs. And it had been a goal of mine for a long time, and it was kind of that realization of, man, great job. But the work wasn't done. It shouldn't have been a great job. It's like, pat yourself on the back. This is awesome. Take it in. Now get back to work and go get what you want. So wrestled pretty well my first match. Um, ended up getting scrambled to death. I had no idea how to scramble in college at all or even what it was. So a uh, guy from Ohio State ended up beating me up there. And then I lost my match in the Wrestlebacks. Just my head wasn't right. And ended up catching a tough guy from Nebraska. Both guys ended up placing um, that year. So just caught a bad end in a bracket went 0-2. And that was my NCAA experience. Never made it back after that. And, um, we just had – Doug's brother came in and talked about, man, you just – got to take advantage of the opportunities you have. And when he was telling that story, he talked about an NCAA experience he had as a freshman. I thought about my sophomore year. I remember walking out of there, I mean, I was in Kansas City, and I was walking out going, man, I got, I got two more shots at this. I got three more years of improvement because I knew I was red shirt in the next year, and I got two more shots at this. There's no way I don't get what I want. No way when I've got two chances and I know what I'm going to put into it that I, I won't get what I want, and I never made it back. Uh, qualification system was way different back then, and Southern Conference was actually pretty tough in my last two years. Greensboro was doing really well. Citadel had, man, some really highly ranked guys that were tough and Brands was at UTC. So they were doing what they were doing and just, man, I never made it back. John Saritas transferred into UTC and I could not beat him. Um, could not beat that guy. He beat me both years at, um, beat me in my junior year at, uh, national at the qualifying tournament at conference and didn't get to go. And then the next year I got inside trip to my back and pin my senior year so never made it back to the national tournament but man I lost to good guys both guys were all American so that's kind of one of the things that's got me through it I didn't go out there and lose to some guys that I was better than both guys could wrestle with me both guys could beat me and those days they beat me that's just the way it goes
0: what was the qualification system like then
1: um so your conference got spots so the Southern Conference got the Tim Champs went. and then there's two wild cards. And the wild cards were just the coaches got in the room and they argued for who they wanted to go. And that's the way it went. So there was two other guys that got to qualify. And both years, man, I really felt like I should have gotten a spot. I had really good seasons. I was ranked pretty high. I had beaten some guys that were ranked really high, ended up placing in the brackets, and felt like I was done a little bit wrong. And I remember, man, that's why, like, I got to walk. I'll leave the name out because I don't know if you want me to tell it. He walked out of the coach's office where I was sitting my senior year. I was balling, man. Like, my career was over as far as I was concerned. I was done. I was in rough shape. And I was sitting right outside the conference room where they were meeting, and a coach walks out. And he's like, just shook his head and he's like, I'm sorry, man. I tried to get you there. And just, man, that, I, that's one of my most vivid memories of my life. It just really physical pain in that moment. So to the people listening to this, if you get an opportunity for something, take advantage of it because, man, it might never come around again. So I only got two spots and I wasn't one of those guys that got to go for whatever reason it was. Mm. I, I don't know. That's one of the questions I got for God when I get to heaven, why I didn't get one of those spots.
0: Dang, that's that's pretty tough, and I, it doesn't make sense to me why it wouldn't be different for different weight classes. Because I know that, I mean, some weight classes and some conferences ha- need to have more spots and than others, and others less. Um, yeah, that doesn't the, really make much sense to me.
1: The way the system is now, so much better, man. Like you kind of hold your destiny in your hands, right? It's not just to the fate of one day. Which again. Man, I could have done better those days, so I'll take a little bit of ownership too. But under the new qualification system, I'd have had a pretty good chance to go my my junior and senior year,
0: and most likely um, freshman too. If, yeah. if you made the finals of your conference, that would. It,
1: I'd actually need to go back and look and see how my ranked wins were. It'd have been close my freshman year because I really came on late, and I said I was about a 500 record going in because I went on that losing streak way early. It'd have been close.
0: Okay. So, um, right after your, your college career, where did you go from there? Um, I know you said you wanted to start coaching. That was, that was where you, where you were meant to be. Um, so where did you start coaching right away?
1: Um, well, I'm not going to leave the, so like I said, man, that memory I have of sitting outside that office and waiting for the coaches to come out That was a dark day, man, for me in my life and really did a number on me, probably more than I ever realized until a few years later when I started repairing myself again. I had a year where I just didn't do much with my life, man. Like, I just kind of wanted to be normal, really. And in the back of my head, I told myself, like, I'm trained to do these things. But really, man, I just I was hurting. I was just lost and trying to figure out what to do with myself. And man, I just, I lost is the best way to put it. I just didn't have anything productive going on in my head and just really dark time for me. So I spent a year just kind of wallowing in my own misery up in Boone and just, man, knew I needed to move on with my life. So after that year of not doing a whole lot of productive with myself, uh, Moved down to Georgia. Josh Steven uh, gave me a coaching job at Harrison High School. And that was my first job. I was teaching math and coaching with him. And and we had a really good team and some really quality guys. Josh Condon, ranked number one in the country. Awesome guy. The Medveds, who I'm still really close with now, man. They started me down the path of really improving. Just had some really fun guys that first year coaching. Um, And that's, that's where I started that first year, being an assistant wrestling coach with Josh Steven in Georgia.
0: So how much did your career as a wrestler where, I mean, you started late, you had a lot to, um, to grow, to get to the goals you wanted to reach. How much did that affect your coaching and, and your coaching style and, and the passion you had for coaching compared to the passion you had for as an athlete?
1: Um, the passion probably to coach was more, um, Like I said at the very beginning of this, my path through wrestling has been a lot of adversity, Sam, for whatever reason. um, i failed way more than I've had success. But after those failures, man, I'm just – I doubled down on it. And just I really – that pain that I talked about, that dark time, man, it it can really take you to new heights. And, man, there's so many stories out there. The Dawn Wall is one of my favorite documentaries. I rock climbed a lot at App State. It's one of the best places on the East Coast to climb. So – man, Tommy Caldwell. That's a, uh, that's one of my guys, man. That's one of the guys I look up to a lot and just how adversity ended up making him the best at something. And really that dark time that I went through and the failure that I had through my college wrestling career um, really motivated me to go down a path of I'm going to be the best at this. And it was a sit down conscious decision to where I decided, man, that this is my life's work. Like, I just felt the calling from God and I started coaching and I really loved it. And I was getting guys better that I'm going to try to be the best at this thing. And, um, and, man, I just, the work ethic went up again, probably too much. I started struggling with balance a lot in my life because man, when it's yourself, you kind of, your body will let you know when you need to step back. There's only so many hours you can work, but coaching is more mental. Like you can just go and go and go. And you got so many guys that you're trying to help the balance started to be an issue. I was probably putting in a little too much time and lost my way that way. But man, that's going to be a struggle my whole life. I'm going to, that's something that I've accepted. Everybody's got demons. Balance is going to be one of mine. Um, Wrestling being my idol in life, that's my struggle. And I got to make sure it's second. God's first, wrestling second, then everything else works out. And I just got to keep learning that lesson. But the motivation went up with coaching, man. It's uh. I loved it more than competing. Uh the sa- I didn't get a lot of satisfaction out of winning myself. It was great. Yeah, it was awesome, but seeing other people win, man, that just fills me up and I got addicted to it. So just helping guys out, man, and really improving and then things were so accessible then. Ash uh, Flow wrestling was really starting to pop off in that time and so I had insights to John Smith and all the best wrestling minds and I got addicted to Flow and just really started making a lot of jumps there and as far as my coaching style goes, that's my dad, man. I coach the way I was raised. Um, very intentional, very disciplined, but at the same time with a lot of love in, in my heart. And uh, I just give all my coaching style to my dad. I try and coach the way I was raised. Um, he, he and my mom raised two pretty, two pretty successful people. I'm doing pretty well coaching, and my brother's just unbelievably successful in the Department of Defense. So a lot of my coaching style just goes the way I was raised.
0: So um, you talked about flow wrestling, and, and I kind of think about that a lot is I'm growing up in the time of opportunity where I've got flow wrestling and track and everything right here so accessible to me. And you kind of started with the VCRs of the Granby School of Wrestling, and I just think it's so cool just the way the sport has evolved to the accessibility of, of everything. I mean, just get technique from John Smith and mindset from Terry Brands is, at at our fingertips is is just crazy
1: yeah i think it's one of the reasons the the sport's growing so fast um man i think wrestling's getting in a really good spot um there's going to be some growing pains along the way man there there definitely is and especially when wrestling starts becoming a little bit more professional it's not anywhere close yet this is still a sport based on charity um at the highest level it's people giving money so they can pursue their olympic dreams there's a few guys that do it professionally But uh, most of them, man, they're just able to do it on charity. But, uh, yeah, it's a fun time for wrestling. And I would say, man, I wish Flo would have been back around or I could have benefited from it. But I benefited from it so much as a coach. Just getting in the highest level rooms and really my love affair with wrestling, coaching and technique. Technique specifically started with uh, uh, 08 Russian Nationals coverage. Um, I remember sitting in my kitchen at Powder Springs, Georgia, watching Russian nationals and guys repeatedly put themselves in positions over and over and over again that I had no idea what was going on, scrambling, so to speak. And that's where I got obsessed with that. And then that was the next three years of my life trying to develop a systematical understanding of these positions. People kept putting themselves in and winning. It wasn't just feel and funk and junk. There was technique to it. And that really shaped a lot of my technique philosophy. Of you can win in transition. It's not just high crotch, corner, double. There's a lot of things that happen in between. And I tell you, a funny thing that happened um, just reading a book, I got, and I'm not a jujitsu guy at all. I don't practice it, I don't watch it. But one of probably my biggest influences in my coaching is Marcelo Garcia. Um, and if you go do any research on him, he's like the master of the scramble, one of the best jujitsu guys of all time, kind of revolutionized the sport. And that was his philosophy, that he plays in people's blind spots. So where they're focused on this concrete set technique and the transition in between them, if he's focused on everything that happens in between those pieces, that you can't beat him. And that's become a lot of the way I look at wrestling. There's anything that happens on the mat, I could teach. I can break it down. I can put it in steps. I can explain what they're doing, and I can get people to understand it. And uh, he had a big part of that.
0: How did you come across him?
1: Um, reading the Fighter's Mind. It was an uh, I'm an avid reader, man. I read a lot of books, and um, that was that's. I give credit to that to my mom. That was a demand growing up. My brother and I had to read, and she was very smart with the books she put in front of us, and I just fell in love with reading. Man, I had a lot of great stories growing up. So I was reading the Fighter's Mind, and a chapter on it was about his philosophy and the way he thought about it, and it just clicked with me. And I was studying scrambling a lot at the time, and. And it just kind of fit. And I took a lot of his philosophy and implemented it in my own coaching style.
0: That's so cool. Um, So I went went to a camp of yours at Young Guns. I think it was about a year and a half, two years ago, maybe. Mm -hmm. And you talked about, you quoted a lot, Chop would carry water. Yes. And I went home, read that book right away, and then got on like a rabbit trail of every book that I found that branched off of that and all of um, Joshua Medcalf who wrote that book, um, all of his book, and then all the books he recommends. And I've just been reading a whole lot lately um, since, since that camp. What are some other books that you've read that have been instrumental in, in your career?
1: Yes, yeah, Sam, uh quick side. I remember you at that camp, man, you worked your tail off and not just worked your tail off. There's a lot of talent behind it too. So I know you've got some fans out there that might not know you're wrestling as well as they do your, the media side. Sam's a really good wrestler. Like he can scrap. So, uh, I know you're a humble guy and that probably embarrasses you a little bit, but I remember you at that camp, man, you got some skills to you and you definitely had a lot of work ethic. Yeah. Chop wood, carry water, uh, Iraqi, man, that was the way I was raised. Uh, do it with your whole soul with everything you got, do it with everything you got. And, uh, it was Hunter Washburn. He came into a, a meeting one time, a wrestler we had graduated, and he talked about that book and I read it. And it was the way I was raised. That book is my father. So that's a big part. I've got about five books that are kind of the pillars of what I believe in. Um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Um, I had a mentor, Charles Pike, during the business days at the compound. That, uh, that was a lot of what he guided it by and really talked about Basically, the premise is you learn how to become independent. So you've got three habits that make you independent. It's about being proactive to where you don't react to life is kind of the gist of it. Then you learn how to be interdependent. Those skills you have, learn how to make the group better, and you start thinking we first instead of me. which is another piece to the next book I have, but I'll get there in a second. And the last half, it's about continuing that through your life, sharpening the saw. So then I talked about the we instead of me. My ego's been a problem um, my whole life. I don't know why. I just got a big one. And I think a lot of myself. So Ego's the Enemy is another one that I read that clicked. Um, I'm really a stoic, and so is my father. Um, Stoic philosophy is one of the things that got me out of my dark days, so I read a lot of Stoic philosophy, Marcus Aurelius's meditations, those kind of things. Um, Ego's the Enemy is one I grabbed that uh, really helped me get a handle on, man, the inflated self-image that was constantly being a problem in my life. So it was one that I constantly go back to. Um, part of it's almost like part of my daily routine. It might not necessarily be in Ego's the Enemy, but that uh, ego dissolution is part of my daily routine that I have. Um, so it's one, the art of learning that's, uh, man, outside of chop wood, carry water, that might be my number two. Um, it's basically meta learning. Everything you do applies to everything in life. So the lessons I learned as a competitor helped me as a coach, um, did a lot of housework yesterday and getting my house organized and clean is going to make me coach better at Midlands. Um, and really how you can master anything. And Josh Waitskin, uh, He's uh, the reason I ended up getting the book. Searching for Bobby Fisher was one of my favorite books and movies growing up. It's about a chess prodigy. My brother played a lot of chess. And uh, the guy was a grandmaster chess. He's a uh, black belt in jujitsu, tai chi push hands, world champ. He's done a lot of cool things and wrote a book uh, based on his journey through that. So that's a big one for me. Um, let's see, the tipping point. That's, uh, that's one of the things I look for in my life in every situation. And it's basically... Talks about bridging the gap between good and great, uh, like Gable talked about. And once you reach that certain point, you pass it. So the tipping point's up there for me. Um, Outliers, that was probably my first journey into self-help. So that's got a lot of sentimental value uh, that I really like. I'm trying to think of some of the more recent ones that I've had that have been really good. Uh, Creativity, Inc., The Story of Pixar. That's That one I really enjoyed. Um, mm. Culture Code, that's one that Doug gave me. Uh, it's one of the things that he's trying to put into practice with you and I and why we have such a great culture up there. That one's been really good. Um, a fiction book. Man, you need to, The Power of One. You need to read that book, Sam. Um, it's about this guy growing up in South Africa and wants to be welterweight champion of the world. Uh, my mom That's one of the books that my mom made me read when I was young. That's probably pretty close to your age, and that's when uh, I started dreaming really big. So The Power of One is one that I have a lot of guys that I'm close with read. And, man, it's one that about every three, four years, I pull that book down and, and run through it. It uh, talks about how one person can make a difference. And it's really not about boxing as much as it is about just doing good work in your life. And it's just got so many great characters. And it's a great story, man. It's a great read. So if you ever need a good read and you got time for a fiction book, get The Power of One. It's, uh, it's one you really like.
0: Well that's awesome. I, I can't wait to uh dive into all these books. I'll I'll go back and write all this down and uh and see if I can get my hands on these. I'm excited. I
1: w i would send it to you, man. I got a bunch of copies of it, but NCAA's like goofy about all the rules and stuff, so I can't send it to you, man. It's uh it's a bunch of crazy stuff. And some of it's good, some of it's bad, but it is what it is, man. Or I'd send you a copy of the power of one. But uh Bryce Courtney's author, So if you get anyone, grab that one. It's just uh man, it really shaped a lot of the pursuit I was on in my life and really dreaming big, man. And, and if it comes down to what I try and convince people to do like at the camps like that you were at now when I get in front of people is don't be afraid to dream big, man. You never know what's going to happen. And that's what gets me out of bed every day. I want to win NCAA title as a coach. And when I'm coaching at Northern Iowa and I'm an assistant coach, people look at me like I'm a little bit crazy. But, man, that's the way a lot of people have looked at guys that have done great things. So dream big, man.
0: Well, I, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to get my hands on these books and, uh, and dive in. But um, moving forward on, on your wrestling career, um, so after your first high school your assistant coach, um, wh- where did you go from there? Did you stay there for a while? How long were you there? And then um, where did you go from there?
1: One year at Harrison. We had a great year, man. Had an Ironman champ. Almost won a state title. Got second. Didn't quite get it done um Collins Hill was really good at the time they beat us then I went to Jefferson the year after that I can't even remember why I left Harrison to be honest um I ended up going in and being an assistant coach at Jefferson the coach there Doug Thurman he had won like 20 state titles in a row I'm not kidding they had won about that many in a row and uh coached there for two years had a great experience um things good Jefferson I don't know it didn't really fit me for whatever reason so I just wanted to do more with coaching. And that's when I met Cliff, uh, really became friends with him. And we had an opportunity with a guy named Carl Vasalo who was a big talker that didn't fall through with a whole lot, but ended up getting us pull the trigger on compound. And that's the shirt I'm wearing right now. It's the very first one that we ever had. Uh, and that changed, that changed everything for me, man. When coaching became my profession and I could do it all day, all day long like from the time I woke up to the time I went to bed I had no other responsibilities other than coaching that's when I really started to make some big jumps and that's why I mean there's a lot of reason why I fret my dude and that's my brother but that's one of the big reasons man It gave me an opportunity to be the coach I wanted to be and if it wasn't for those nine years of just completely dedicating myself to this I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you right now Sam I'd still be a JV coach in Georgia
0: so how, how did you ever meet um, Cliff, and, and what was that relationship like at, at the beginning?
1: Um, it was one of those things. It was like my first day wrestling, man. Like God put each other in our lives. We both need each other, and um, Cliff needs me, and I need him, and we will for the rest of our lives, man. I uh, always laugh and joke about that Cliff will be the guy I retire and live next to, and we'll be doing previews when we're 82 years old, and we're both retired and don't have anything else to do. We'll go back and bring Rowell back in those days. But uh, his son was a junior, I believe, or maybe a sophomore when I got to Georgia. And he was around my size. He's about 160 pounder. And he was really good. He wrestled at University of Indiana and just Cliff doing anything for his kid just was like, hey, come down and work out with my son. And I uh, got to know him that way. And just it was one of those love at first sight things man like we started talking with each other and the passion each of us had it just clicked i don't know man we we talk about it all the time i don't really remember man it just we ever since that first day we were ripping and running and a part of each other's lives and two years after we met compound wrestling like we we ordered mats and i had to figure out how to make a living with this thing so uh it's just god put each other in our lives man honestly it's really what it was
0: So um, when you decided to to dive into compound, were you still coaching at a high school at the time? Yeah, I was, and that was a
1: tough balance. A lot of the parents were upset a little bit because we had some guys in our club that were they were competing against, and I don't know, man. I just I love like I'm not helping those guys beat anybody, but anyway, that's a different story. So yeah, it was a little bit tough, and it was a lot of hours because I was driving. Man, it was about an hour and a half drive from where I lived to the compound. But with Atlanta traffic, sometimes that was three hours. Sometimes it was impossible to make it. So that was pretty frustrating, making that drive. So that was uh, there wasn't a whole lot of sleep going on that year for me when I was coaching and driving down and doing the compound. But the next year, knew I wasn't going to be a teacher anymore, didn't even renew my teacher's license, and just went full speed ahead trying to pay my rent being a wrestling coach
0: that's crazy and, and did you move closer to the compound
1: yeah i was uh, actually after on, you did that i was planning on moving in the compound i was just going to sleep on the wrestling mats um i just saying this is my life man i don't need much else and uh i've got a wonderful wife who man if we keep going down my journey i'll talk about it a little bit but i just don't need a whole lot else in my life like i said this is my calling um so wrestling and my faith have become really one and the same like it's is—it's like almost missionary work for me in a way, but in a different way. I don't know, man. It's just where I'm supposed to show people God's love. And I just think that's the reason I love it so much and I can't get enough. So I was planning on sleeping on the mats. And I mean, we had just a handful of kids, so I wasn't making any money. I mean, no, no money, zero dollars making money. But uh, the Fretwells being the people they were, Stephanie, Cliff's wife, was like, there's no way you're sleeping on a wrestling mat. So, she makes me up a bed and tells me to move in and I fight it for a while, but uh, they're just gracious people and let me move into their house and live with them for a while. Then we ended up getting a good situation where I had a little bit of a, an apartment uh, right across the street from them. And uh, that was a, most of the years of the compound. Just literally, I could throw a rock and hit their house from where I live. So when I say we spent a lot of time together, man, we spent a lot of time together.
0: That's so crazy. and And you, had just met cliff two years before that
1: yeah we hadn't known each other really long probably we were two and a half years in and and really i mean had not a whole lot of interaction with stephanie since then that's just and she's got a big heart i don't know why she loved me so much but she did she really didn't have much of a reason to i (laughs) i took her husband away from her a whole lot and uh made him crazy about this sport but she loved me and she took care of me she's uh she's a special woman for me man that uh I don't know. I haven't had a whole lot of great relationships with women in my life, but she's one of the ones that started repairing those for me. She, uh, she's she got a big place in my heart, and i love Stephanie Fretwell forever.
0: That's pretty cool. Um, so w- when you when you started coaching at Compound, how successful was the program, and, and what was that growth pattern like? Was it similar to your wrestling career? Uh,
1: yeah, that's this is when I started being a little bit more particular, so I can go back and look that's when I started journaling all the time and I had a daily routine and really started trying to get better. So I know what this is like a little bit. And one of my first entries was we don't have enough kids to pay the bills. So I learned, I had to get, I had to be good. Like I had to be good in a hurry and we had to have results in a hurry. Cause we had to get kids in the building. We had a few diehard parents, the Ruffins, the Hodges that were in right away and, and they helped get people in the door. But, um, uh, I wouldn't say we did a good job at first, but we worked really hard. And through that, our confidence grew. And then we all kind of got better. I had a really special group that first year, man. We ended up having like 11 guys going to college to wrestle out of that very first group we had. So it was just a, a bunch of guys that loved wrestling and worked really hard and we all grew together. You know what a misconception is about this sport? They think it goes one way. They think coaches dump into their athletes and that's the way it goes. And this is a two-way street. We get as much from you guys as you guys get from us. And, um, that's why I'm pretty strategic with who I'm around and who I want to coach. Cause it does go both ways, man. Like I just had a really special group of guys, Hunter Gamble, Charles and Chandler Pike, Jake Hodges, Taylor Lujan, um, Ruffin, I'm Higginbotham, man. There's some guys I'm sure I'm leaving out just by my mind going blank, but Man, those guys dumped into me and believed in me, and because of that belief, I was not going to let them down. So just tried to become the world's best technician and give them the best technique and the best training cycles I could and really made a lot of progress pretty fast. And within three-year time, man, we were doing we were doing pretty well. It was rough the first two years, didn't have a lot of results. I man, I remember going to Super 32 and being done after the, about the third round. But then after about that third or fourth year, we started having – national caliber guys that could go anywhere and wrestle and then at the end man we were really doing well we had a we had a handful of hammers and especially our youth group man we had a lot of killers in that group And it was a lot of fun man uh some of the best memories of my life that i'll know i'll have forever those those nine years at the compound were special times
0: what were the ages of the kids you coached there uh
1: we That's had
0: that is we had
1: uh Let's see. We had seven was the youngest one that we had come in and really train. We had one kid that was younger than that, but he just would come and hang out. He was, I can't talk about him again. Dumb NCAA rules there in high school and can't mention her name, but uh, he would hang around on my shoulders and just walk around practice in a diaper really. But we had a guy that was seven that would pay enough attention to come in. So from seven to senior in high school, we had guys all through that range. Normally two different practices. We'd split our group, our youth in high school together, especially when our numbers got big, but, uh, at seven to eighteen,
0: that's crazy. And so people would come to you, eighteen. I imagine they're senior in high school, um, and you'd only get them for a year, and they'd come for you like right, right away. Yeah, we had some of
1: that. Um, we ended up being a pretty close knit family, and just my philosophy on it was like if you wanted quick results, that I wasn't your guy. And um, I was, we're going to do this the right way. And I treated every guy that came in the door like they wanted to be a world champ. And that's the way I trained them. And I think some of that rubbed off, and maybe that's why we had some guys really get in it. But if you were looking for quick results, man, I wasn't your guy. There was other places you could go. TWA was a lot better than that, and I would. I'd send them to Dustin Kawa to to go train. And, And we were more of a come in and really get committed to it and spend a lot of time. We had some seniors come in and spend one year with us, but that really wasn't the core of what we had. We had a group of about 60, 70 guys that were there all the time. Wow.
0: That's That's impressive to start out with that many kids. Um So a- as you started moving forward, you said um about 3 or 4 years in, you you started to see see some real success. Um national level guys. A- after that, um when Compound started becoming a known club and and really starting to do well, um what was that like? Did you did more kids start coming in? I know you guys had to um extra locations and then rope well started coming in just just could you start um just at the beginning explaining the timeline of how all that went down
1: yeah so actually Ropewell was pretty early in it and uh that was a hundred percent Fretwell thing i told him it was the dumbest idea ever nobody was ever going to watch it um that's just what we did we just sat down and that's that was us like that wasn't a scripted thing that was just a normal sit down and talk about vague cliff keen uh invite which is so weird now that i think about it that i'm actually coaching in it that was the first preview we ever did the long and dirty vegas preview i don't still don't know if it's up on flow or not but uh that's just what we did we would sit down and we would talk about them and man this is the guys i like and these are the reasons why and these are the matchups that are good because of this stuff and he's like hey we need to film this like, nobody wants to watch this fret and he's like well i'm filming it anyway because that's just what he did all the time and, uh, so that kind of took a life of its own. And man, we got a lot of recognition probably before we were even good coaches because of how much we were on flow and how much we were trying to help them out, just being some wrestling nuts and loving what they were doing and probably stepping over lines that we weren't supposed to. And just, that's the way Cliff and I were, we were just, we were going to go help and we were going to go do things. And we'd pick up a camera and film whether he asked us to or not most of the time. So uh, Ropewell was early and that gave us a lot of recognition. And then, uh that got people in the door probably because it was great advertisement. I don't know if Cliff did that on purpose or not, but it was genius because people saw us all the time. So uh people thought we were a lot better than we were at first. And then as time went on, Cliff and I got a lot better and we could really develop some guys and then and really started having a lot of success. And at the end, man, we had a we had a lot of guys coming in and partnered with Jeff Bedard and uh he had a club up northern Atlanta and that worked out great for a while until he went to to coaching college. Um, had a good relationship with him. Jeff's one of my dudes, too. But uh, man, at the end, it really was kind of crushing. We were doing pretty well. And uh, I'll tell you, the thing that I, I want to talk about during those times is I learned another valuable lesson. So struggling is one thing, and you can grow from struggling, and there's setbacks that come from it, but also from success, too. And what I learned about myself is like, I'm way better with failure than I am success. And I almost got lost in my sauce a little bit through how well we were doing. And I told you, man, ego is a struggle I've had my whole life and really lost sight of it again there and had to do some doubling down to get that back in check. Cause man, everywhere I went, people knew me and like, it's not fame like people deal with all the time, but man, people knew me when I would go to wrestling tournaments and it's something I kind of got hooked on. And Man, I just, I don't know. I lost sight of who I really was during there and lost my real purpose for doing this. And it didn't last too long because, again, I've got great people in my life and they reminded me that this is a service and it's not about me. I'm here to help other people. So, man, you just got to be careful with all that success that comes with it because you can lose yourself in it. People talk about money and, man, money changes people, but so does recognition and success. So uh, hold on just a second. My wife's texting me. Give me one second. All right. Bad radio, but back on. Um, so, man, you really you got to really be careful with uh, the success you have, too. And man, with your motivation and, and what you're doing, that's a, a lesson for you to, to be on. You're going to really be known. And man, people are going to look up to you and admire you for what you're doing I already do, man. Like, man, people know who you are. You can say Sam Herring and people are like, oh, yeah, that's the that's that young kid that knows so much about wrestling, tough wrestler, and man. He's on flow and Man, he does a great job commentating. He's got this podcast. You has got a lot going on, man. So one of the things I'll, uh, I'll advise you to do is, is pick a day where you really got some time and sit down, and, and it's going to change through your life. But write down who you are and who you want to be, the things that you don't want to change, like not for anything. There's nothing in your life that will change them. And, man, put them as reminders that you see every day uh, so that when you have success, on the mat, off the mat, whatever you do in your life, you don't lose sight of who you are because not just uh, you'll feel bad about it and you'll lose your purpose, but also, man, that's the reason you're having success. You're having success because of who you are, like who you get out of bed and be every day is what gets you to those levels. And uh, sometimes people lose sight of that. And I know I did as I really started to do well and started kicking a lot of butt on the wrestling mat, that I lost sight of who I was and why I was doing this. And if I would have continued down that path long enough, the success would have gone away. Um, so, man, as you continue to grow and get better, man, just keep sitting down and really strip all that stuff away. And at the core, who's Sam Herring? Who do I want to be? Who do I want to be remembered as um, after this is all said and done? Because, uh, man, no matter how great we are at the end of our lives, we're just another human being, right? Seven billion people on earth and we can make the biggest impact we can. But uh, remember who you are at your core and all the extra stuff, man that comes and goes and fades away, but who you want to be, that's what, that's what really matters, man. And that's what's going to get you to what you want and give you peace of mind at night. So I strongly encourage you like pick a day where you got some free time and sit down and like, who, who do I really want to be? Like, what do I want to stand for? What things do I will not negotiate? I will not bend on. And I uh, just hold those true in your heart for the rest of your life and it'll keep you in a good spot. Yes, sir. I, I
0: really appreciate that. And, um, uh, and I've, I plan to. I plan to do that very soon. I I appreciate that.
1: Yeah, no worries, ma'am. It's. Uh, I wish somebody would have given me that advice before we started crushing it so bad. It would saved me a uh, probably about six months of uh, losing my way a bit.
0: Well, um, so yeah, at about six months, um, like you said, a little struggle. Um, which which is crazy that out of success and out of where you're shooting for comes the struggle. Um, that, that's just, that's life. Um, but yeah. anyway, I'll tell you one thing. I you,
1: want to clear up one thing. Hold you on. move I don't forward. mean to interrupt you. I want to interrupt you real quick. Cause I want to clear that up. So with the, it wasn't, it wasn't struggling that anybody could see. It was struggling internally. It was what you know's right in your heart. And it's when you put your head down at night that you're comfortable with who you are and you're proud of who you are. And that's what I was struggling with. It wasn't, man, we were still killing it. Like, man, we had a lot of really good wrestlers and the amount of work we put in, that doesn't go away in a short amount of time. But uh, I really wasn't proud of who I was because again, I'd lost sight of what I was about. And this was about something bigger than myself. And it started becoming about the brand, the compound and and how much we were winning. And well, we got to go win more. And okay, now I got to get out there more and I got to get better. And it wasn't that, all right, man, this is just a, this is just an act of service, and we're gonna have a lot of success with it. But I need to let somebody bigger and smarter and wiser than me handle what this turns into, um, and that's kind of one of my philosophies in coaching. Man, um, I need to. I'll, I might publish it. it was, I write a lot, and uh, one of the things I wrote was, you know, it's pretty famous. You get what you earn. And when I first started writing, I don't know that I believe that, especially my journey through wrestling. I don't know if you got what you earned, but then in a roundabout way, I talked myself into it. And what I decided, man, is I don't need to worry about what I earn. That's God's responsibility for me and my beliefs. Like God's going to take care of what I earn, like what I, what I get. Mine is the earning. I got to get up and earn it. And I'll let God turn it into whatever he wants it to, man. So just clearing up that part of where I got lost a little bit, like man, it's not, nobody's going to be able to see it, but it's inside and you got that little bit of itch that you right. need to get cleaned up, get it cleaned up. So sorry to interrupt you, but I had to clean that part up real quick.
0: No, no, I'm, I'm glad you did. Um, I, I really appreciate every everything. Um, so a- after you guys started having some, some serious success, um, when, when did the clothing brand start coming in and, and how important was that to the compounds growth? Um,
1: it would have been probably five years in and it was something cliff had a normal nine to five job. He worked at an ad agency and marketing is he's gifted at it. Um, again, we wouldn't have had the success we did without his expertise and getting the brand out there and turning it into something that, I mean, when there was a good wrestler in Georgia, Sam, people thought they trained with us, whether they did or not. That's just how much he got the brand out there. Um, so It was more one of those things about trying to give Fred what I had to where he could do this all the time. And uh, we had a buddy, Brandon Veazey, who was pretty constant in our life. Just a great guy. Ended up going to law school and getting out of wrestling. Terrible decision. I always joke with him. I'm kidding, but it was a great decision for him, but a terrible decision to get out of wrestling, go to law school. But uh, he had been on Cliff about it a lot. And uh, Cliff had some things happen to where, man, it just company downsized and he had to move on. And Brandon showed up with LLC papers for compound clothing. And then we started down that journey of trying to figure out how to run a real business. Like, I mean, uh, uh, don't get me wrong, a gym, it's a business, but it's a service business. It's a little bit easier than having inventory and managing cash flow and like really doing payroll and a lot of those things that we had no idea about and didn't while I was there at all. Cliff figured all that out as they went on. But, um, Man, really quickly, it made me realize that I'm a wrestling coach, um, to my core. That's what I love. That's what gets me out of bed every day. That's what my work ethics about, um, and that's what I have to have in my life. It just, I don't know, Sam. Coaching wrestling is just something that fills me up in a way nothing else does, and uh, that's what Compound Clothing made me realize. That, man, it was an opportunity. Cause, I mean, I didn't make a ton of money when I was a club coach by any means. Uh, we just kept dumping it back in the business and helping things grow. So it was like, yeah, man, I'm tired of eating ramen noodles and like barely making in meat every month. So it was an opportunity to make some real money. But, and, uh, that's part of like at the end when I lost my way, figuring out too like all that, man, that doesn't mean anything to me. And, uh, I shouldn't say that cause you got to have enough money to make it or life gets stressful. But, uh, man, coaching is what I, who I am. And, um, it helped change Cliff and Stephanie's life. And I'm glad I had a little bit of part in that. And, uh, because I owe them so much, I'll never repay the debt of them giving me the opportunity to be a professional wrestling coach. So I'm glad I had a part in getting clothing started and pressing out a lot of t-shirts and trying to figure some things out uh, to help them out. But uh, that's really a a Clifton Stephanie thing more than it is a a Lee Roper thing. I get way too much credit for compound clothing. Um, I just a lot of grunt work in the beginning and then figuring out I'm a wrestling coach and that's what I want to do. But it was a big part of making Compound successful and so keeping when, it growing.
0: Yeah, I imagine it would be. Um, I, I imagine it's a little bit of the same thing that, that you guys made made your name in a little bit of the flow stuff and, and the rope well. Um, and that built the brand of, of Compound as well. I imagine the Compound Clothing did um, really help the, the training the facilities and wrestling program itself.
1: Yeah, it, uh, it definitely all worked together for sure, and um, we we were doing well based on being wrestling people, that uh, we got business, we shouldn't have gotten the business that we gotten, but people loved wrestling and loved us, so yeah, well, Travis Gerrard, I remember that was one of the first orders we put through in North Forsyth, like I remember folding and pressing out shirts in Cliff's Garage, that was one of the first orders we did, so uh, we, uh, we had got a name in wrestling that we were wrestling people, and you know how wrestling people are, man. They're loyal to wrestlers, and they were loyal to us and helped us out, like, literally helped us pay the bills.
0: That's that's so cool, and it it just has got to go full circle. It's so like your wrestling prowess and your wrestling name built another name for your clothing brand, and that built a name for your Ropewell Media personalities and and so on and so forth, and it just goes full circle like that to, to help each different um, asset each different asset of, of compound. Um, so did you guys, um, did you personally have a relationship with coach Schwab, um, as a compound coach, um, prior to when you moved up there to UNI?
1: Um, yeah, that's actually how I met Doug. So long story short, we were bringing Metcalf in to do an intensive camp and he'd made the world team. So he didn't have time to do it. Calling around trying to find guys. Doug ended up being the guy came down and it was just another one of those, uh, God put him in my life moments. So we just clicked and Doug ended up being a guy for me that really helped my confidence as a coach and believing in myself. He was pretty instrumental in that. Um, and just, man, he's a, if you ever get around Doug, he's an incredible human. Um, very similar to Cliff and Stephanie, he and his wife are just got the big, they have the biggest hearts outside of my wife of anybody I know. And uh, just really cared about me a lot and met Doug through coming down and doing a bunch of camps for us, just started making him a regular, bringing him down all the time because, man, again, it goes both ways. I was getting better being around him and developed a relationship with that, him coming down and putting our guys through some really tough intensive camps and putting me through some crazy hard workouts, (laughs) making me grow in that aspect. And that's just what that guy is, man. He makes you grow. I've had a hard time explaining Doug. He's a hard guy. He's so many facets of his personality, but probably the thing he's best at is making people grow. And um, that's why I'm here, man. That's why I'm coaching at Northern Iowa.
0: So you say that. Um, how, when did the conversation of moving the, to you and I and being a coach there come? Because uh, honestly, going from club coach to college coach is a very rare thing to happen. Yeah. um, That's one of the things I'm proud of, Sam, um, to
1: be honest. And again, I got to be careful because my ego is always a problem, but it is one of the things I'm most proud of in life that I've made it coaching based on my coaching results that I can develop guys and I can create culture. And um, that's why Doug was interested in giving me a job because he saw the culture we had and he saw the skills our guys had and knew I could do it at that level. But it came really with, uh, again, God working in my life. So we'd had an incredible year, the best year Uh, at compound. Um, I mean, just an incredible amount of success. Everything we went to, we did really well at, and I was just restless. Like I was just restless. I was almost bored that like, what's next, what's the next step? Where's my growth going to be? So I was going to move. I was going to go start a new compound at another place. Um, some things going on in my life that it just, man, it was just the right time to do it. It was, and that's what I called Doug about. I was like, hey, man, I'm thinking about maybe putting a compound in Iowa. Um, where would you put it? Like, what city does it need to be in? Is, that, is there enough people in Cedar Falls to do it there? Or do I need to go to Des Moines or Iowa City? And I'd had those conversations with people from a few other states because that was my plan. Let's go try and do this where there's more competition. Um, I felt like I had, I had Georgia, I don't want to say beat, that sounds bad, but I had it figured out there. And, um, I needed right. something tougher to help me grow. Um, so that was the plan. And I don't know, a few hours went by and then Doug sent me a message and like, Hey, I'm interested in getting you involved with what I'm doing. And, um, man, Sam, I'm a planner, um, probably too much sometimes and, uh, really intentional about my life, but that was one of my split second decisions I've made. And, uh, again, it goes back to something bigger than me working in my coaching career. Um, that I was going to Iowa to coach with whatever. I didn't know what my job was going to be. Just didn't care, really. I was just going to be part of what Doug was building um, because I was supposed to. Like God was moving me in that direction, and it was just uh, very confident. Everybody thought I'd lost my mind, the people in my life. I mean, we were rolling, and like compound wrestling – and it, like, I was a big part of it. Like I had built that thing up from scratch and had a lot of help along the way. Thomas Kimbrell, Jeff Bedard, Cliff, man, Chris McLafferty had a lot of help, but man, like put a lot of hours into it. And it was like my, it was like my child. It really was. And man, that I just was like, gave it all up and left. It's like, and my, my parents were probably worried about me a little bit. <laughs> I imagine because I'd had those dark times before and they were wondering if I was back in it. And, uh, it was just the right thing, man. I just believe in Doug that much that like the thing that I created, I knew what he believed in and what he wanted to create. I could help him get there. And it was going to be something, I don't know, man, really special. And I still don't know what that's going to be. We're still on that path. And again, I'm just trying to let God take care of that. It'll be what it is. And But man, we're having a lot of fun right now and figuring a lot of things out together. And, uh, it's been one of the better decisions other than marrying my wife that I've made in my life is is coming up here and being around Doug. He's gotten me to levels as a coach that I didn't know existed. And probably more than that, uh, given me peace of mind, which has always been a struggle for me. Um, I've got a really restless, hyperactive mind and, and finding peace in, uh, all my craziness is a tough thing. And it's just something he's really helped me out with a lot. And, uh, man, one of the very special people in my life, Doug Schwab. And I'm glad that Metcalf made the world team, and I brought him down to a camp, and our relationship uh, hit off after that. Because it's, uh, it's been a blessing every day.
0: That's that's so cool that it all it all sprouted from Metcalf making the world team. It, it just I him back that um, it's crazy how, how big things happen like that from such small seeming um, seemingly mean, meaningless things, um, but had so much meaning. Um, so did Rebecca go up with you to Iowa in
1: that time? Um, at first she was not going to, so we were dating at the time and we were pretty serious. Um, there's some things that had happened along the way that knew that I'd, uh, I'd loved her and I had bad relationships in the past and I had kind of, I was out on relationships, man. I was just, I didn't think I was going to be a part of my life. And, um, I had really gotten in tune with, with my faith and the direction God wanted me to go in like, really gotten back connected to that. And I just thought relationships were something that wasn't going to be for me. Like, wrestling coaching was my calling, and that's just what my life was going to be about. And when that ended, okay, I'll figure out the next phase of my life. Um, so I thought, man, that's, I loved I love Becca. And, and, but it was going to be tough because I was going to Iowa and she didn't have any connections or ties to Iowa. She had her own plans and own friends and own social group. And, and it was like, very tearful goodbye, but it was a bu- goodbye. And, uh, and the kind of woman she was, that was unacceptable to her. And after a short amount of time of that separation, and she said, I'm coming. And, uh, that's probably the moment I knew that I was going to be with that woman for the rest of my life. Uh, funny story. I'm a lot older than Rebecca. So I was coaching when she, I was coaching in high school when she was in high school and, uh, her friends had backed up the story cause I didn't believe it for a long time she was sitting up at the stands at the state tournament and it was either my first or second year coaching. And she's like, I'm pointed to me on the floor and she's like, I'm going to marry that man. And man, like that, like that's for me, like, that's when I know something bigger. Like, that's crazy, man. Like the fact that she didn't know me from anybody and pointed me out of a crowd of, I don't know, 10,000 people. And it's like, I'm going to marry that guy and it happened. That's how I know something bigger than me is working in mine and her lives. Like, man, we're supposed to be together. And, and she's a big reason why i'm so i don't know healthy now um my obsession can turn into a disease a whole lot and she's just and she's just brought a lot of peace in my life and i've talked about it one other time but i had a fear at the end of my life that man i was going to be alone because i knew i dedicated myself to the sport that i was going to do everything in my power to be as good as i possibly could and help as many people along the way as i could And I thought at the end of my life I was just going to be by myself. And it was what it was. It was like goes back to the good to great thing. It was a sacrifice I was going to have to make. Um, But Becca took all that away. And now I've got somebody that's along the journey with me every day. And she's my soulmate, man. That's the only way I can describe it. So she ended up coming up after about a month. And and we found a really good spot up here and developed a life in Iowa now.
0: And you were um, living with the Schwabs at the time, right?
1: Yeah, I lived in uh, their basement for about six weeks. Um, And that's just the kind of people they are. They just don't worry about it, man. You'll find a place. Don't sweat it. And this is really Allison. It's just like we got an empty bedroom down in the basement. Just stay there until you figure it out. And just those are the kind of people they are, man. That just sums it up. How many people they've brought through their home and just taking that concern and worry away. they great people, man. So gracious. Such a big heart. Yep, lived in their basement for a while.
0: So I, I imagine there's a um pretty big but at the same time not not very big difference. Um it's just it's it's gotta be so confusing when you when you coach at a club and your your job outside of wrestling is making the club have a big name and get people to come to that club. Yep. But coaching at a college is a little bit different. Your job is to um and, and it obviously depends on on which coach you are and, and what the head coach um, needs you to do. But um, outside of coaching your wrestlers, your job is recruiting, getting um, donors involved and, and stuff like that. And so outside of wrestling, um, there are some pretty big differences. But in the core of wrestling, it's got to be pretty similar, I imagine. Are, are there any differences inside of wrestling and coaching club athletes
1: and youth in high school versus, um, college? Yeah, actually the outside of, it's really similar to running a small business too. You put on a lot of different hats and that's what you do as a small business owner, man. There's a lot of similarities to there. So, uh, there's a lot of college coaches out there that, uh, they're really entrepreneurs at heart and would do really well. If coaching doesn't work out, starting their own thing. Cause that's pretty much what being a college coach is, is running a small business. But on the mat, I'll tell you, man, Uh, I've had a crazy wrestling journey from coaching. I've coached at all levels. And uh, I think that's really helped make me a well-rounded coach. And I'm telling you, the only difference from coaching seven-year-olds to coaching 25-year-olds is the distractions are different. The hurdles are different. So the things you have to overcome are different. Other than that, man, it's really, it's not a whole lot different. Um, You can win with any skill set you want if you practice it enough and, and master it. Uh, just the distractions, the things you have to overcome, uh, the mental side of it's different, which the athlete gets a little bit older. But man, young kids want to win and it's important to them and they'll work really hard. And uh, you've got to keep it healthy for them, just like you have to do a college athlete, some different ways. But uh, man, it's really more similar than it is different. And um, man, I'm just, I'm very thankful that I've coached from very beginners all the way up through senior level guys. And it's, it's helped make me a well-rounded coach and given me a pretty diverse skill set that I think I can help out a lot of different types of personalities and a lot of different types of wrestlers. But, uh, I don't know. I think a common misconception is like college wrestling's different. Like coaching wise, it's, it's not much different. It's not just, uh, what they're dealing with outside of the room is different and their support systems different. But, uh, other than that, man, it's really similar, man. Guys want to win and, Got to give them to work hard and sacrifice to do it and keep it healthy along the way.
0: How long have you been at UNI so far?
1: Let's see. This is my fourth year fifth year, one of those two, uh, something like that. I think uh, – let's see, fourth year. This is my fourth year up there. No, fifth uh, year because I got in with so- uh, Maximum's freshman. This is my fifth year.
0: Okay. Um, so what did – when did Taylor Lujan come in? I mean, you coached him when he was little at at compound, right? Yeah, that's a
1: funny story. So during Taylor's recruiting process and Northern Iowa was a big part of it. I knew I was going to coach there, but couldn't let anybody know because I didn't want to influence Taylor's decision. Um, Taylor's a big part of my life. And, uh, man, I would not be the coach I am without him. Uh, And there's a lot of people along the way that have helped it, but he's way up there at the top of the list with what he's demanded of me from the very beginning. And he's been the hardest worker in the room since, man, the first day he came into practice. And that's why he's the wrestler he is today. But uh, that was a strange thing, man, to have to keep that secret from him and not want to influence where he was going to go. And I honestly thought he was going to go to Minnesota um, that's where I thought he was going to commit to, but it was a really good day when he committed. And I said, Hey, but, uh, guess what? Uh, that's where I'm going to. And, uh, it's just been, a there's been a lot of highs and lows and ups and downs and bumps in the road and a lot of success with Taylor and I, but to coach a guy for 11 years is a very rare, but very, very special experience that, I mean, I'll never probably get to have again. I don't know if I'll ever get to coach a guy that long and, uh, Taylor's a big part of my life just by how long we've been with each other and how much we've grown through the sport together. So that was a strange time having to keep that secret from him while he was making his choice.
0: So let me get this straight. You decided you were moving up to Iowa and going to coach there while his recruiting process was going on. Yeah. And he had no he had no idea, and he still committed there.
1: Yeah. he uh, And uh, I don't know, man, just the way that thing works out. And I asked him why. And um, I was like, Taylor, why why Northern Iowa later on? And he's like, I don't know, coach. Every time I saw myself winning the national title, I was wearing a UNI singlet. And uh, I just, man, it's the culture. It's the fit. It's Doug. Like it's what he's building up here. It just fits Taylor. It just, man, a lot of people get caught up in the recruiting thing and uh, on the wrong things. And they don't, they don't think about fit and they don't think about what satisfies them as a person. Cause man, there's so much that goes into being great. And Man, how many small details you got to cover to be an NCAA champ? That the fit is so important that uh, sometimes the glitz and the glamour can be distractions, and they don't think about the culture of the team and what they stand for. And if that speaks to them as a person, and it did for Taylor. Uh, what Doug was building spoke to him on a level that's hard to make tangible and describe, but uh, it was just right for him to go. And that's basically why he committed. There's just, when it came down to it, there was no other place for him to go and hopefully he doesn't have a whole lot of regrets we talk a lot and he's never brought any up but uh man he's doing a great job and man what a what a incredible young man if uh, you ever get a chance to be around taylor lujan and get to pick his brain and be around him he's just he's a fine human being i i count him very high up on my list as as far as people that i admire and respect he's he's a great individual
0: that's so incredible and crazy too that 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 just happens that you guys have a relationship since he was little, you've been coaching him and just what a coincidence that, that he decides to go to the place that you're going with no idea.
1: Yeah, it was a, uh, it's been a fun experience. I'll tell you the, the hardest year was my first year. Cause I really on purpose didn't coach him a whole lot. Um, Taylor had to figure some things out on his own and I just didn't want it to be a continuation of what we had done before. I don't know. Part of growing to college is, for young men turning into men, right? And you almost have to turn them loose a little bit, let them figure out things on their own. So man, that was a that was a strange year for both of us. And Taylor probably thought I was mad at him for a long time just because I didn't do a whole lot of development with him that year and just kind of turned him loose and let him figure things out on his own and figure out the other coaches that he might connect with. Like Randy might be better for him. Doug might be better for him. And Randy does a lot of his development still, man. And they developed a good relationship and just cutting them loose and letting them figure out some of those things, and then as it comes back around, like Taylor and I fit, man. So we spend a lot of time together and still do a lot of work on the mat, off the mat, and uh, but uh, that was a that was a strange year for both of us.
0: I bet it was hard to uh, to not tell him that that's where you were going, especially when he was thinking. I bet did was he talking to you a lot? Like, hey, coach, I'm I'm really thinking about going to you and I. What do you think? Or did he ever did he ever do something like that,
1: yeah, man, we talked about it all the time i mean uh i one of my i never I never told kids where they should go, but like I asked questions and I listened, and I was kind of the sounding board for it um and yeah, it was uh it was strange with him talking about the different places and knowing Taylor like he's he's he'll get on something and get real high about it, so it was Nebraska for a while, and then it was Minnesota for a while, and then it was Virginia for a while. And then it was you and I for a little bit. And then it went back to Minnesota and then ended up committing to you and I. So it was definitely a a strange time. But, Sam, I'll be honest, man, I didn't care if he didn't go to northern Iowa. Taylor's life and his goals are bigger than me being a part of his life, right? Like, of course, I would wanted to keep coaching him. And I think I can continue to develop him and take him to Olympic level if that's what he chooses to do. But that's it. It's his choice. Um, And his choices are way more important than what I want for his life. And uh, so if he'd have gone to Minnesota, I wouldn't have been sad at all, man. I'd have been happy for him and would have really had a tough time trying to figure out how to beat him. But uh, that would have been part of my job. And and uh, just, it worked out, man. It worked out great. Didn't have to worry about any of that stuff. Well, that's that's
0: good that that never had to happen. But um, that, that's just blowing my mind that that's how it worked out. Um, so in your life last couple years at, at UNI, I mean, um, you got there. I, I, I've kind of noticed your, your main job outside of wrestling has been the recruiting. Um, and that's kind of where you're putting a lot of your focus. What, uh, is there any difference in um, recruiting that, that you've had to learn? What are some things um, that you had to focus on since moving from club to college?
1: Oh, yeah, man. It's a whole new world. Uh, and I, I rely, I learned so much from Randy Pugh. Randy's like, Randy's the most humble, quiet. He don't want to be in the spotlight at all. But man, that's that guy's a secret weapon. At you and I, and I've learned so much from picking his brain on recruiting. And still, man, I'm still an infant when it comes to that. And and uh, that's kind of my big focus right now. I figured I'd coach for about 50 years, so I divided my coaching up into 10-year segments. And uh, and the segment I'm on right now, this 10 years, is about recruiting. And I'm going to try and be the best recruiter in in the country. And Find the right fit. And it used to be more almost like competition, right? You uh you go after the best guy and you want to get them. Well, they might not be the right fit. So trying to figure out the guys that'll succeed and have success more and then trying to find those intangibles that are going to translate to college and then skill set, when you're good, you're good, man. Any skill set works from single legs to headlocks. If you're good enough at it, it'll work at the college level. So I don't get too caught up in that, other than like maybe styles fit well for one of the guys or personalities fit well for one of the coaches on the team. But, man, I'm still learning a whole lot about recruiting and uh, how to to get a guy to believe in northern Iowa. Um, Probably the biggest thing I've learned this year is I'm not trying to convince guys to come anymore. Um, I think that's a bad policy because, I don't know, man, we're influential people, right? You can persuade somebody to do something that might not be right for them. So all I try and do is communicate what we're about. As passionately and clearly and as persistently as I can. And the guys that that speaks to will come and you'll get the commitment from them. And then the guys that don't, they won't and they need to go somewhere else. You and I's not a fit for everyone. I believe in it so much, man. And I think if you're a high level wrestler out there that's got big goals and wants to achieve big things, you need to come look at Northern Iowa. Uh, we got some things that are pretty special and different from a lot of other places. Um, But it, like I said, it's different from other places and it's got to speak to you and what you want out of your life. So that's probably the thing I've learned this year is I'm I'm not trying to convince guys to come. Um, I'm just going to talk about what we're about, what we stand for. And if that speaks to you, you'll get excited about it. You'll want to come. And and it's funny when I started doing that, you started getting more commitments out of guys. And uh, I don't know, just it's not a game, man. And I try not to treat it like that. It's it's not a something to be won or lost. It's just finding the right people to be involved with what you're trying to build and bigger than that, be involved with your life. Cause remember this goes both ways, man. I'm going to give a lot to them. So is Doug. So is Randy. So is B Rob, but they're going to give a lot back to us and I want to find some guys that are making my life healthier, more wholesome, happy, and get me better as well.
0: Well, that's, that's really cool. Um, so a, f- a few more things I want to ask about your, your move to you and I, um, what's it like moving from georgia where it's beautiful weather you went to college in north carolina and now it's iowa where it snows in the winter what's that
1: oh man it's so much better weather out here you're crazy those summers in georgia you can have them man it's so hot you can't do anything it's miserable summers here are awesome it's about the only free time you got it's 85 degrees you get out it's a wonderful day i don't know man uh and maybe because it's um it's iowa and it's wrestling crazy out here i love it the winters don't bother me um yeah when it's negative 10 out and the wind's blowing 40 miles an hour that stinks but so is when it's 102 and 100 percent humidity in georgia so i mean i actually enjoy the weather better out here uh, i don't mind the cold as much as i mind the heat maybe just because i grew up in it all the time and yeah. uh Bo- boone was cold and windy and snowy too so it, it got me prepared for it the weather out here hasn't been bad at all not one bit
0: well that, that makes sense, but I'm a little bit the other way. I, I like the hot weather a little, little bit better than the cold. You can have um, it, man. You can to, have it. To that, to that extreme. But um, what what about the um, culture in Iowa? So you wrestle so West Gym. Um, I mean, I know that that place is just crazy. So many knowledgeable, passionate fans in Iowa that really, really care about the sport of wrestling and, and um, dedicate a lot, a lot of their time and life to it. And, and they're just fans. Um, what's that culture switch like? Um, I know it's gotta be a lot different from Georgia.
1: Yeah, it is. And, and there's some good and bad things about it, but Sam, that's one of the things I love about Iowa, man. And while it'll be hard for me to ever leave, um, life changes and things happen, right? So I, I never say never in life cause you just don't know what God's going to hold for you. But I think that's what I enjoy about it the most. Everybody's connected to the sport just about. Their brother wrestled, their dad wrestled, their uncle was an All-American. Like there's, Everybody's connected to the sport, and they understand uh, what it's about. And most people have been involved with it. And you know, man, you're a part of it. You're neck deep in it just like I am. Wrestling, it changes you in a certain way. And it's just a great community. And the fact that it is so important out here, that the community is just that much stronger. Um, This is really the first place that I've called home since I've been an adult. Um, I've lived a lot of places and I've had houses and places, but this has been home and it's just a great community and, and wrestling's my life, man. And wrestling's a big part of Iowa culture. And I think that's just why it fits me so much.
0: Definitely. And I, I, I definitely feel that as well. Um, I mean, I, I just, I feel like it's, it's magnetic and, and it spreads. Um, I mean, Passion and, and asset and then anything in life um, is it it's contagious and it spreads and I just love to be around people who are passionate and um, especially about the same things I am. So a place like Iowa's got it's, it's got to be just awesome to uh, be around insanely passionate people like that.
1: It is, man. I I struggle in life a little bit just because I don't have a lot else, man. I uh, I have my faith. I have my dogs. I have my wife. I have wrestling, and I play video games as a distraction, and that's about it, man. I don't have a whole lot of connections, so the fact that the people out here get one of my passions—that's probably why it's home for me.
0: Well, um, I wish you and I was going was still going to uh, to the Southern Scuffle. I get to come back home for you, and, uh, and I think I'm starting to go out there every year. Um, I'll I'll be going for my second time. I I love. I love that. That was actually my first college event last year when I went. Um, But I I wish you and I was still doing that. I'd get to see you. Uh, I know it, man. Uh, But you're going to Midlands.
1: Yeah, got to get around you again uh, for sure, man. Like You're infectious about the sport, and I I hope you get to do some commentating because I really enjoyed it last year, and the scuffle was great. We had a good time there, but just looking for a different competition, Midlands right across the street in Chicago for us. So. There's some reasons why we go, but looking forward to that too. Scuffle's a great event. I wrestled in the first scuffle, so that's got a it's got a warm place in my heart.
0: Wow, I didn't I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. You you competed for
1: Upstate in the first ever. Yep, I wrestled in it. Uh, I think three years of college. I started at my sophomore year. and Always wrestled really well at the scuffle for whatever reason. Always had good tournaments there.
0: Well, now uh, now compound sponsoring the tournament. So that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, full circle, man. Story of my life.
0: All right. Well, uh, I I really appreciate the time. This is this has been the the longest interview that I've had, but definitely one of the best, and and I'm I'm really glad I got this one in.
1: Ah, uh, Sam, we'd sit on talk about wrestling all the time, man. And like I said, I wish recruiting rules were different to where we could just I could call you up on the phone and talk about Cliff Keen invite, man, because uh, I know we'd have fun doing that. But uh, man, keep doing what you're doing, and uh, I know it's been a long podcast. If you want to like split it up into, like my wrestling days and my coaching days that could work but do whatever you want with it man and if you ever need help with anything reach out man i i got a lot of admiration admiration for what you're doing i'll help you any way i can
0: well i i appreciate it and i I think people will enjoy this one and i hope as much as i did um i I love long interviews that means really uh that we really got into it and uh, i mean i I had a lot of fun I, i really appreciate you taking the time to to come talk with me
1: anytime sam you're the man i really enjoyed this man i'd uh, been pretty busy and worn down and i don't know just going through my whole journey of wrestling just made me realize how blessed i am i'm gonna have a good day because of this man i appreciate what you're doing and it's uh definitely made a difference for me today and it's given me something to scratch my itch on wrestling so keep hma going and uh any help you need man reach out to me
0: i sure will i appreciate it
1: yeah man take care buddy have a good break all right you too later man
0: Hey guys, if you love listening to our podcast, then you're going to love the pictures at wrestlersorwarriors.com. Tony Rotundo is a great friend of ours and his photos are fantastic. Go see him for yourself at wrestlersorwarriors.com. That's wrestlersorwarriors.com.